Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Our scripture reading this morning will be Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. Romans chapter 5, uh, the entire chapter. If you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, you will find Romans chapter 5 uh, on page 942. A theme this morning is solus Christus, or the doctrine of Christ alone. If you're a regular here, you know that for the past few Sundays I have been working my way through the the five pillars of Reformation theology, the so-called five solas of the Reformation. We began on Reformation Sunday with the doctrine of sola scriptura, or, or Scripture alone. And we, we saw that, that Scripture is our only and final authority in all questions of faith and practice. That it is to Scripture that we turn to find out what we are to believe and what it is that we are to do. And we saw this in Paul's claim in Romans chapter 1 to be a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. We then took up the question of of grace alone, which tells us that salvation is a gift of God's grace. Grace does not empower us to earn salvation by doing the works necessary to establish our righteousness with God, but rather grace gives us the gift of righteousness, the gift of Christ's righteousness, that we might be justified in God's sight. And so our salvation is not by grace through the law, but by grace apart from the law. We saw this in Romans chapter 1 through 3. But of course, saying that salvation is by grace alone has implications. If salvation is by grace, then it must be received by faith alone. And this is the doctrine that Paul unpacked for us in Romans chapter 4 as he took us back to Abraham and showed us that from the very beginning, righteousness has been by faith. That Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And that those words, it was counted, were not written of him alone, but for all who share his faith, for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Christ who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. And so we saw in Romans chapter 4 that this gift of salvation is received by faith alone. That brings us to the fourth pillar, the question of, or the doctrine of, Christ alone. And this morning that we will see that this full and complete salvation is secured for us by Christ and by Christ alone, as we already confessed this morning, that He is the only Redeemer of God's elect. So let us see it together as we read Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. This is the very Word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. 
For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many." That the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, we do ask that You would be with us as we turn our attention to Your Word this morning. We pray that the same Spirit who inspired Paul to write these words would now open our minds and our hearts and our ears to to understand and receive them and to bring forth their fruit in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, my theme this morning is solus Christus, the doctrine of Christ alone, and that is the doctrine that we see Paul expound here in the fifth chapter of his letter to the Romans. We see that that there is nothing that needs to be added to the work of Christ's redemption. We see that, that the work of Christ's redemption is perfect and complete, that He has done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation, that He has done everything necessary to to secure for us an eternal hope of glory. We do not need to supplement His work in any way. We do not need to add to His work in any way, but we simply need to receive the benefits of what He has done for us. 
This is what it means to say that our salvation is in Christ alone. It means that there is nothing we must do to to add to His work of redemption. That His work is fully and completely sufficient. And of course, this has been hinted at all along in the book of Romans. We we saw it in chapters 3 and 4. You remember all the way back in chapter 3, verse 24, that, that Paul spoke of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. He says it right there, that that this redemption that is ours, this righteousness that is apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ is through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation. Now that's not a word that we use very often in the modern church, but it is a word that that refers to a sacrifice that, that turns away the wrath of God. Jesus Christ was that sacrifice. He was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world and and satisfied the wrath of God that we who were under condemnation might instead know blessing. That's what Paul means when he refers to the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And he says it again at the end of of chapter 4. When he's talking about the fact that, that righteousness has been counted to us through faith alone. He says that that this is true for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised again for our justification. His death was for our trespasses. He died for our sins. He who knew no sin became the sin offering for us that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That through His resurrection we might be Justified. There it is again. The doctrine of, of soulless Christians that Christ's work is enough, that Christ's work is sufficient, that in Him we have a full and complete salvation. But it is that doctrine, that doctrine of Christ alone, that Paul now seeks to, to unpack fully in Romans chapter 5. And we're going to divide this chapter up into three parts. In the first paragraph, verses 1 through 5, we are going to see the the full scope of our salvation. We're going to see that the salvation that we have in Christ is a full and complete salvation, that it is a perfect salvation. Then in in chapters, or in verses 6 through 11, we we will see that the ground of that salvation is Christ and Christ alone. And then finally, We will see how this works, how it is that Christ's work can be counted for us. We will see the logic of our salvation in verses 12 through 21. So let's begin with the first paragraph. Let's begin with the scope of our salvation, verses 1 through 11. And as I said, in these verses, Paul shows us that our salvation is indeed a full and complete salvation. He shows us that there is nothing left to be accomplished. That what Christ has done for us is sufficient. Not only for the past, not only for the present, but for all eternity. Notice how Paul begins. He he begins by assuming the fact of our justification. He says it in verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That's the the starting point. That's the the foundation. Everything else flows from that. We have been justified by faith. And you'll remember that to be justified is to be declared righteous. It is to be declared righteous in the sight of God. And and through the law, if you're going to be declared righteous, it's only through doing the law, only through, through keeping the law perfectly. But remember what Paul said, now a righteousness from God has been revealed that is apart from works of the law. Now a a righteousness has been revealed that is through faith in Jesus Christ. And through that faith, 
We have been justified. We have been declared righteous. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have received and rested upon Him alone for your salvation, you stand before God this morning righteous. You just stand before Him declared right. Meaning that you now have a right to all the blessings of the covenant. You now have an inheritance in the coming kingdom of God. That's what it means to be declared righteous. You have been declared right with God. And because that is true, certain things follow. There are, there are certain consequences of having been justified. And he, he tells them too, as he says, since we have been justified, first we have peace with God. That is a consequence of our justification. But more than this, not only do, do we have peace with God, but having been justified, we now have access to grace in which we stand. Because we have been justified, we now stand in God's grace. And thirdly, because we have been justified, we now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because we have been justified, we now have a hope of glory. Let's look at each of these just a little bit more closely. First, having been justified, we now have peace with God. Think about what that means. You have been reconciled to the Father. There, it, is, it is common today to, to assume that all people have peace with God, that, that God is for everyone, that God loves everyone, that God is, is just looking for a chance to pour out His blessings on everyone. But that is not what the Scriptures teach. In Adam, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, in Adam we were by nature objects of God's wrath. Why? Because of what Paul says here in Romans chapter 5. Because by nature, in Adam, we were enemies of God. In Colossians chapter 2, he says that we were hostile towards Him. We were, we were haters of God. We, we were rebels against His throne. We were the, the fools in, in Psalm chapter 2, shaking our fist in God's face, saying, we will not be ruled by you. We will be the master of our own ship. We will, we will go our own way. We will do what is right in our own eyes. And as such rebels against God, as those who refuse to acknowledge God as God, we were rightly and, and justly under His wrath. We were subject to His eternal condemnation. But now in Christ, that wrath has been satisfied. It has been poured out in full. Christ has taken the cup of God's wrath and He has drunk it in full for us. So that we now have peace with God. The record of debt that stood against us has been nailed to the cross. There is now no condemnation, Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. But, but more than this, notice the second thing that he says. Not only do we, do we have peace with God, but we now stand in His grace. We have received access into this grace in which we now stand. What does that mean? What does it, what does it mean to, to stand in grace? It means... That our, our, our relationship with God that has been secured by grace is, is an abiding reality. It's not just something that, that happened. It's not something that we were, we were reconciled, but now the, the relationship is at risk because it's back in our own hands. 
You know, you, we have that, that experience as human beings, do we not? We're, we're reconciled to someone, but it doesn't take long before we do something else worthy of breaking the relationship. This is the way that we, we relate to one another as, as human beings. And so when human beings are reconciled, it's not always forever. But what does Paul say? Paul says, no. Having been reconciled to God, having peace with Him, we now stand in His grace. Forever. We stand before God in His grace. We, we came into God's presence this morning as sinners. We came into God's presence this morning as those who had, who had done things we ought not to have done. Who, who had failed to do the things He called us to do. We, we came into His presence as those who by our own merit are still worthy of condemnation. But we came into His presence this morning covered by grace. We came into His presence this morning standing in the grace of God. We, we stand before Him now in the present in His grace covered by the blood of Christ. We stand before Him beloved, righteous. We stand before Him as saints. And we will stand before Him as such for all eternity. This is the third thing that Paul tells us. Having been justified by God, not only were we reconciled to Him, not only do we, do we stand before Him in grace, but we now rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Hope is a future reality. Paul tells us a little bit later in this very letter that you do not hope for what you already have. The fact that we hope for it means that it is not yet ours. But the fact that we hope for it means that it has been guaranteed to us. In fact, what we heard this morning in Ephesians chapter 1 is that it has been guaranteed to us by none other than the Holy Spirit Himself. He is the seal that guarantees that we will receive the inheritance that is ours in Christ. In Christ, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have a sure and certain future hope of glory. That glory of which we had fallen short, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3. That, that glory for which we were originally created. We, we, we lost it. We, we fell into an estate of, of sin and misery. And having lost our glory, we lost our fellowship and our communion with God. We were cut off from fellowship with Him. But now in Christ, we have a, a certain hope that we will be restored to what we were created to be. We will be made perfect in the glorifying and enjoying of God for all eternity. We will be restored to the image of God, conformed to the image of the glory of Christ. And our fellowship with the Father will be unimpeded for all eternity. That is our future. That is the future that has been secured for us in Christ. And this is, of course, why we can rejoice even in our present sufferings. I don't have, have time to unpack all those verses this morning, but they are amazing truths. As, as Paul says elsewhere in his letter to the Corinthians, that we know that the sufferings that we are called on to endure here, they are slight and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory that is being prepared for us. In fact, they are actually serving that glory. They, they actually are producing in us a character and a, and a hope that will not put us to shame because it is guaranteed by the ministry of the Holy Spirit Himself in our hearts. This is the scope of our salvation. We need to see it. The salvation that has been secured for you in Jesus Christ is not just a fresh start. It is not just a, a chance to do better. 
salvation that has been secured for you in Jesus Christ is a perfect, full, complete salvation from first to last. It is a salvation that that begins with our justification and ends in our glorification. And it is impossible that God should not bring to completion the good work that He has begun in Christ Jesus. That is the scope of the salvation that is yours in Jesus Christ. And that's what what Paul wants us to see. That in Christ we have a sure and certain hope. But how is it that Christ has done this? That it's in Christ is is clear enough. Paul says it numerous times. He he says it in verse 1 that this is through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 2 again he says that this is through Him. That these things are true. But how is it that this works? How is it that, that Christ has done this for us? What is the ground of this salvation, this, this full and complete salvation that is ours? This is the question that Paul turns to in verses 6 through 11. And again, there's no possibility of unpacking everything that is here in these verses. But, but look with me again at what Paul says. There are, there are two things in particular I want you to, to see in verses 6 through 11. And the first thing I want you to see is the emphasis upon Christ's death. Paul returns to it again and again and again as he speaks about the ground of our salvation. Notice verse 6. He says, While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So our salvation is in Christ, but but more specifically, our salvation is through the death of Christ. It is that, that Christ died that has been the ground of our salvation. He says it again in verse 8. He says, God shows His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ has has done something. He has died for us. He he says it again in in verse 9. He says that we have been justified, how? By His blood. By His blood that was spilled. By His blood that was shed upon the cross. Through His blood we have been justified. And just in case we missed it, He says it again in verse 10. He says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of His Son. So again and again, Jesus or, or Paul points us to Jesus' death. He, he shows us that, that the ground of our salvation is the fact that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. That He died for us and was raised again for our justification. It's Jesus' death and resurrection. It's what Francis Schaeffer called the finished work of Christ. It is the work that Christ has already done. The work that Christ has already completed that is the ground of our salvation. And notice how important this is. We, we, we see that, that what has been done in the past has consequences for the future. That's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to see Paul's use of that phrase much more. Because while Paul points us back to the death of Jesus, he wants us to see that the death of Jesus has very clear consequences for our future. Notice what he says in verse 9. He says, Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Do you hear what he's saying? He's pointing to a past reality. 
That's the the first half of the verse. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood. That is the, the past reality. Through Jesus' death, through His blood shed, we have been justified. He took our sins upon Himself. And He died in our place upon the cross. And in Him, having shed His blood for us, we have now been justified by His blood. That is a past reality. Our justification is a past event. But notice what Paul says. He says, if that is true, if you have been justified, then something else is true. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. If the first thing is true, much more is the second thing true. If, if the, the greater thing is true, the lesser must be true. And that's what Paul is saying. He said, if Christ has died for us, if He has already given His life to secure for us our salvation, then we can know with absolute certainty that we will be saved. Future. We will be saved from the wrath to come. It is not that we are justified now and and on some sort of probation to see if we will be good enough to get in at the end. That is not the Gospel that Paul preaches. Paul says, if we have been justified by Him in the past, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, if the past completed work of Christ has secured for us a past completed justification, then we can know for certainty much more will we receive our final salvation. Those whom He has justified, He will unvariably glorify. Without fail, He will bring to completion the good work that He has begun. If you've been justified much more, will you be saved from the wrath to come? And He says it again, just in case we missed it in verse 10. If, while we were the enemies of God, there it is, we were His enemies. We were, we were hostile towards Him. We were His enemies. And yet, He reconciled us to Himself. We didn't reconcile ourselves to Him. He reconciled us to Himself. How? Through the death of His Son. He dealt with the record of death that was against us by nailing it to the cross. He poured out His wrath on Christ upon the cross that we who were under wrath might become His beloved children. That we who are under wrath might come to know His his blessing. This is what Christ has done. That we we will not be treated as our sins deserve. That we will will not receive the just penalty for our trespasses. But that we will be regarded as righteous and we will be blessed as those who are right with God. This is what God has done for us. Through the death of His Son, He has reconciled us to Himself. And then He says it, Much more, if this is true, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? Our future salvation is as certain as our past justification. The two cannot be separated because they are bought and paid for by the same blood of the same Savior. If you are in Christ, you have received Every spiritual blessing. You see, you cannot be united to a partial Christ. You you cannot receive part of His benefits. You cannot be justified and not sanctified, but nor can you be justified and not glorified. These are all the benefits. Every spiritual benefit that is ours in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says not only that we have been forgiven and not only that we have been adopted, but that we have been made heirs of a kingdom and that our reception of that inheritance is guaranteed. 
by the seal of the Holy Spirit. When you are united to Christ, you are united to all of Him. You are united to the whole Christ. And every spiritual blessing is yours in Him. This is what we mean when we say that our salvation is by Christ alone. We mean that His work is perfect and complete and does not need to be supplemented in any way by us. Through Christ's work, our salvation is now ready to be revealed, Peter says. We're we're not adding to it. We're not finishing it up. We're not not doing the the final touch-ups. It is a salvation ready to be revealed. It is a complete salvation. And if we have been justified by faith through His blood, much more shall we be saved by His life. Much more shall we be saved from the wrath to come. This is Paul's argument. This is the the reality that Paul wants us to see. That in Christ we have a full, perfect, and complete salvation. On the basis of, of Christ's death and resurrection, we have not been partially saved we have not been made, made possible that we might get saved if we are good enough. But rather, we have been fully saved. And nothing needs to be added to the work of Christ. Christ's work alone is sufficient for our full and complete salvation. But how does that work? How, how, how can the life and death of, of Christ secure our eternal future? This is the question that Paul takes up in verses 12 through 21, as he begins to unpack for us the logic of our salvation. Look again with me at verse 12. Paul begins a statement that he doesn't actually complete for at least until verse 18. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And then in the ESV, you just have a little dash at that point. Because Paul sort of cuts off his, his thought. You, you recognize that if Paul says, just as... You expect him to say, so also. <laughs> you know, just as this is true, so also this is true. But he doesn't actually do that. Because Paul recognizes that the just as statement needs some explanation. He, he needs to explain what he has just said. And what is it that he has said? He has said that sin and death came into the world through one man. Sin and death entered the world because of Adam's rebellion. See, when God created Adam, he entered into a covenant with him. And that covenant was made not just with Adam, but with Adam and all of his posterity, all of his children, all who would descend from him by by ordinary generation. He entered into that covenant. So when Adam broke that covenant, he sinned not only for himself, but he sinned for all of his children. He brought all of his descendants into an estate of sin and misery so that you were born under a death sentence. And you knew this to be true. You've been dying from the moment you were conceived. You have been under a death sentence from the, from the moment that you were born. We, we know this to be true. We, we speak of the inevitability of, of death. We know that it is true. And here Paul is telling us why. Why are we born under a death sentence? We are born under a death sentence because we were born guilty in Adam. He was our first father. He was our federal head And therefore, his sin was our sin. In him, all men sinned. And all men were born guilty. And we do not like that, especially as autonomous, independent, 21st century Americans. Nothing riles us up more than the idea that that somehow we're guilty because of what Adam did. 
that just doesn't seem right. That just doesn't seem fair. And, and I understand. I'm an American too. I, I rile against it too. I don't, I don't really like it. I don't really understand why I should be held accountable for what Adam did. But guess what? I'm not God. And neither are you. And this is the way God makes covenants. God makes covenants with, with not only the first generation, but with all of their children. This is the way God works. This is the way God has always worked. And on the one hand, it seems really unfortunate because it means that, that we're guilty in Adam. Now, we'd be guilty on our own anyway. I mean, let's just admit it. We're all sinners. We, we have all sinned and done things worthy of, of death ourselves. But, but even before we had done anything, we were already guilty. And that doesn't seem right. But while it doesn't seem right, and while we may not like it, I want you to hear me say this morning that it is your only hope. God's covenants are your only hope. Because the reality is this, that yes, you were born guilty in Adam, but because of the way God's covenants work, you can now be made righteous in Christ. Because when we, when Adam rebelled and when we fell into sin in Adam, God did not abandon us. It's what we confessed this morning, that God did not abandon us to perish in that estate of sin and misery. But that in His grace, He determined that He would save for Himself a people through a Redeemer. That He would provide a second Adam. A second man to, to stand before Him as the representative of all those who are in Him. And that that second Adam was none other than Jesus Christ. And where the first Adam failed, our second Adam stood firm. He was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. So that not only did he take upon himself the penalty of Adam's sin, but he actually fulfilled the requirements of the covenant to earn life. And so therefore, in Jesus Christ, we can receive this full Salvation. It's what he says in verse 18 where he finally comes to finish his statement. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. That's the one sin of Adam led to condemnation for all men. That's what we don't like. But because that is true, this can also be true. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Just as all those who were in Adam are condemned, now all those who are in Christ are justified and made heirs of eternal life. So here's the question. How do we, how do we get in Jesus? <laughs> how do we get in Christ? How do we, how do we transfer from, from Adam to, to Christ? Paul tells us it's by faith. This is what it means to be justified by faith alone. If you will believe in Him the Father will transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of life. He will, he will transfer you from Adam into Christ. And by faith alone, you come under the headship of Christ. And by faith alone, you receive every spiritual blessing in Him. And as we've seen, every spiritual blessing doesn't just mean every past spiritual blessing. It doesn't even just mean every present spiritual blessing. But it means every spiritual blessing from the beginning to eternity. It means that we have been justified and have peace with Him. It means that we have been justified and now stand in grace. And it means that we have been justified and now have a certain eternal hope of glory. And so if you are in Christ this morning, you are no longer in Adam. You are no longer under condemnation. But if you are in Christ this morning, 
You stand here this morning justified, but more than that, you stand here this morning as an heir of the coming kingdom of God. Christ has done everything necessary to secure your future for all eternity. You don't need to add to it. You simply need to live in the blessing that is yours in Christ. Be comforted. Know that there is nothing you must do to add to Christ. Be be confident. Know that, that in Him you are fully reconciled to the Father. And be hopeful, knowing that in Christ your future is secure. Whatever He asks you to pass through in the present, it is but slight and momentary. More than that, it is actually serving His good purposes that one day, You will be restored to glory. One day you will will again enjoy the full fellowship for which you were created. One day you will be made perfect in the glorifying and enjoying of God for all eternity. That is what is yours in Christ. And because such a full and complete salvation is ours in Him and received by faith alone, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, this is Your Gospel And we ask that You would give us ears to hear it. That You would give us hearts to believe it. That You would would allow us to taste and to see its goodness. That You would allow us to, to rest in its assurance. And that You would empower us to bring forth its fruit in our lives, Father. This is what we ask. We ask for it boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, our sure and certain hope. For His name's sake we pray. Amen.